0: Welcome to the marathon season of Neatable MDS Ki Shala podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Tingra, and you are a Neatable. Tune in for a new episode every day till the NEAT MDS 2022 exam. So this episode is rapid revision of general surgery. We'll be looking at important concepts, classifications, and important one-liners which can be asked as potential MCQs in the NEAT exam. So let's get started with general surgery. First is the physical status classification by American Society of Anesthesiologists which is also called as ASA. So there are 6 types of ASAs. So let's discuss them. ASA 1 means normal healthy patient. ASA 2 means patient with mild to moderate systemic disease. ASA 3 is patient with severe systemic disease that limits activity but it is not incapacitating. ASA 4 is when patient is with severe systemic disease that limits activity and is a constant threat of life. ASA 5 is moribund patient not expected to survive 24 hours with or without the operation. And finally, ASA 6 is clinically dead patient being maintained for harvesting of organs. Moving on some markers and their related cancers among the markers first is under the category oncofetal antigens under that the first one is alpha fetoprotein that is afp which is responsible or a marker for hepatocellular carcinoma non-seminomatous germ cell tumors of testis and the second one is carcinoembryony antigen, cea which is a marker for cancer of bowel pancreas and breast The second category is under cytoplasmic proteins in this the first ones are immunoglobulins which are markers for multiple myeloma and other gammopathies. the second one is prostate specific antigens which are marker for prostate cancer the third category is enzymes under which the first one is prostate acid phosphatase which is a marker for prostate carcinoma the second one is neuron-specific enolase which is a marker for neuroblastoma and oat cell carcinoma of lung. The fourth category is Hormones, in which Calcitonin is a marker for medullary carcinoma of thyroid and Catecholamines and Vanilline Maldelic Acid are markers for neuroblastoma and pheochromocytoma. And the fifth category is Secreted Cancer Antigens, in which the first one is CA125, which is a marker for ovary cancer and ca fifteen three is a marker for breast cancer. Next is generalized classification of fractures. So fractures can be classified firstly according to plane of fracture. They can be five types, transverse, spiral, oblique, comminuted and compression fractures. Then based on communication with exterior, they can be simple or closed fracture and open or compound fractures. The third type of classification is according to cause of fracture. So there can be three causes, traumatic fractures, pathological fractures and stress or fatigue fractures. And the last classification is according to number of fractures. First is single fracture and the second is multiple fractures. Moving on to some points about the thyroid. What is the position of the thyroid gland? It lies opposite the 5th, 6th, 7th cervical vertebra and 1st thoracic vertebra the isthmus of thyroid it lies opposite the second to fourth tracheal rings coming to enlargement of thyroid gland it is called as goiter and the classification of goiter is as follows first is simple goiter which further has three types diffuse hyperplastic goiter nodular goiter and colloid goiter second is toxic goiter which again has three subtypes Diffuse or primary toxic goiter also called as Graves disease, Toxic nodular goiter and Toxic nodule. The third type is neoplastic goiter which has two types, benign tumors and malignant tumors. Fourth is thyroiditis which has three types, autoimmune thyroiditis, subacute or granulomatous decrovarian thyroiditis and Riedel's thyroiditis. And fifth is other rare conditions. Coming to the term nodular, some facts about the term nodular. The type of leukoplakia which is more prone for malignant transformation is nodular type or speckled type. The type of simple goiter which is more prone for malignant transformation is also nodular. And the type of malignant melanoma which is aggressive with vertical growth pattern is also nodular type. So these were a few interesting facts about nodular types. Now what is thyrotoxicosis? It is the excess secretion of active thyroid hormones. Important to know in this is the various eye signs seen in thyrotoxicosis. So the signs are Von Graefe's sign, Joffroy's sign, Mobius sign, Dalrymple sign, and Stellwag sign. First one is Von Graefe's sign. This is when the patient is asked to look down, his upper eyelid fails to follow the rotation of the eyeball and thus lags behind. This is Von Graefe's sign. Second is Joffroy's sign. When the patient is asked to look upwards with the head fixed, there will be absence of wrinkling on the forehead. Then this is called as Joffroy's sign. The third is Mobius sign. It is the failure of convergence of eyeballs. Fourth is Dalrymple sign, which is the upper sclera is seen due to retraction of the upper eyelids. And fifth is Telwag sign. This is the absence of normal wrinkling that is staring look will be seen next when we are looking at classifications let's now look at the classification of tetanus so there are various types of tetanus first is acute tetanus where the incubation period is less than 10 days second is chronic tetanus where incubation period is about one month third is delayed or latent tetanus where the organism remains latent in the wound for months or years fourth is local tetanus which causes local contractures of muscles 5th is cephalic tetanus, there is irritation or paralysis of the cranial nerves which dominate the picture and the facial nerve is affected most often. And 6th is bulbar tetanus, here there is extensive spasm of the muscles of deglutation and respiration and it is often dangerous as death is caused by the spasm of muscles of respiration. There is also one term called as urban tetanus which is seen in developed countries hence the name urban tetanus. It is basically a complication of narcotic addiction. Then there is something called as tetanus neonatorum which results from contamination of the cut surface of the umbilical cord and is an important cause of infant mortality in developing countries. Here the severe spasm of respiratory muscles occurs which is the common cause of death. Then there is post-abortal tetanus or purpural tetanus which results from unsterile manipulation or instrumentation during abortion or labor. And there is a term called latent tetanus which means sometimes the wounds are so trifle that they are forgotten. After months or years when the right conditions for Clostridium tetani to multiply are produced then the tetanus develops and this is called as latent tetanus. Now there are two very important signs in tetanus. First is Rhysus sardonicus. It is the characteristic anxious expression of a tetanus patient due to spasm of the muscles of face and jaw. The second is opisthotonus. It is the condition in which the muscles of the neck and the trunk become rigid and the back is slightly arched. Now there is another disease which is caused by Clostridium species. It is gas gangrene. So let's look at the classification of gas gangrene. There are five types first is clostridial cellulitis this is crepitant infection involving necrotic tissue but healthy muscle is not involved and it is characterized by foul smelling seropurulent infection of a wound the second type is single muscle type it is limited to only one muscle third is group type it is limited to one group of muscles example extensors of the thigh fourth type is massive type it involves almost whole muscle mass of one limb and fifth type is the fulminating type. This spreads very rapidly even beyond the limbs and it is associated with intense toxemia. Now let's jump into head injury. First of all let's look at the fractures of the base of skull. So there can be three fractures anterior cranial fossa fracture, second is fracture involving middle cranial fossa and third is fracture involving posterior cranial fossa. The clinical features in anterior cranial fossa fractures will be First is hemorrhage from the nose which is called as epistaxis and escape of CSF that is CSF rhinorea Second is echymosis starting in the lower eyelid and gradually involving the upper Third is subconjunctival hemorrhage which is the posterior limit of which cannot be seen Fourth is excessive hemorrhage which pushes the eye forward Then there is first, third, fourth, and first division of fifth and sixth cranial nerves which may be injured. And in the base of fracture of anterior cranial fossa, air may enter the cranial cavity producing intracranial aerosol. Then, next is clinical features of middle cranial fossa fractures. There will be hemorrhage and escape of cranial contents, that is, CSF and brain matter, may be expected from the ear, that is, CSF autoria, and the mouth then occasionally there will be epistaxis, which is seen when nasal sinuses are affected and 7th 8th and occasionally 6th cranial nerves will be injured. 6th nerve injury will result in internal strabismus. Moving on to clinical features of posterior cranial fossa fractures. There will be extravasation of blood in the suboccipital region which produces a swelling at the back of the upper part of neck and echymosis near the tip of the mastoid process which is also called as battle sign and it occurs within 3 to 4 days of trauma. Then 9th, 10th and 11th cranial nerves are occasionally injured but 12th nerve usually escapes injury. Coming to complications of head injury, there are some early complications and some late complications. Early complications include leakage of CSF that is CSF rhinoria or CSF otoria that is from the nose or from the ear. Second complication is aerosol, that is entry of air into the cranial cavity Third is meningitis Then fat embolism Brain stem injury Posterior fossa compression Pituitary failure These are the early complications The late complications of head injury are Chronic subdural hematoma Post-traumatic epilepsy Headache And hydrocephalus There is an important term associated with head injuries It is lucid interval. In case of extradural hemorrhage, when the hematoma has reached a considerable size, it causes sufficient rise in intracranial pressure to cause cerebral compression. This causes unconsciousness due to pressure on the reticular system of the midbrain. The time taken to form such a big hematoma as to cause sufficient rise in intracranial pressure to cause unconsciousness following head injury is known as lucid interval. So remember this term and its concept now i'll be listing some common swellings of head and neck region first is common swellings in the midline area these are submental lymph nodes which may be enlarged thyroid gland enlargement thyroglossal cyst sublingual dermoid and lipoma then common lateral swellings in the neck area are lymph node swelling salivary gland enlargement thyroid enlargement, branchial cyst, and lipoma. Then acute swellings in the neck area are Ludwig's angina, boil, carbuncle, acute lymphadenitis. Then some cysts that show cholesterol crystals are branchial cyst, dental cyst, dentigerous cyst, cystic hygroma, old hydrocele, and thyroglossal cyst. Finally, swellings that move up with deglutation are thyroid swellings, thyroglossal cyst, subhyoid bursal cyst or subhyoid bursitis, enlarged pretracheal lymph nodes that are fixed with trachea and laryngocele. Moving to some types of ulcer edges and where they are seen, very important from MCQ point of view. First is undermined edges, it is seen in tuberculosis next is punched out ulcer edges it is seen in gamatous ulcer deep trophic ulcer and marturals ulcer sloping edge is seen in healing traumatic or venous ulcers then raised and pearly white beaded ulcer edges are seen with rodent ulcer and rolled out or averted edges are seen in squamous cell carcinoma or an ulcerated adenocarcinoma next let's discuss classification of shock so there are five types of shock first is hematogenic or hypovolemic shock this type of shock is due to loss of intravascular volume it is clinically manifested by low cardiac output tachycardia low blood pressure and vasoconstriction revealed by cold clammy extremities second type is traumatic shock in this type of shock there is hypovolemia due to bleeding both externally and internally. Internal bleeding is called intraperitoneal hemorrhage which could be from ruptured spleen or liver or from torn vessels of the mesentery along with toxic factors resulting from fragments of tissues entering the bloodstream. Third type is Neurogenic shock. It is a shock which is primarily due to blockade of sympathetic nervous system resulting in loss of arterial and venous tone with pooling of blood in the dilated peripheral venous system. Neurogenic shock is probably the only form of shock that can be safely treated with vasoconstrictor drug. Fourth type is cardiogenic shock. It is usually caused by injury to the heart, myocardial infarction, cardiac arrhythmias, or congestive cardiac failure. In this condition, the heart, mainly the left ventricle, fails to pump blood. And fifth type is septic shock. This is most often due to gram-negative septicemia. It may occur in cases of severe septicemia, cholangitis, peritonitis or meningitis. There is also one type called vasovagal or vasogenic shock. It is a part of neurogenic shock only in which there is pooling of blood due to dilatation of peripheral vascular system causing reduced venous return to the heart. Here blood flow to the brain is reduced causing cerebral hypoxia and unconsciousness. And this condition can be corrected by Trendelenburg position. Coming to classification of hemorrhage, first is hemorrhage can be external or internal. Second classification is according to location. It can be arterial, venous or capillary. So how will you identify these? Arterial hemorrhage is recognized by bright red color. It is ejected in spurts with each systole of the heart. Then venous hemorrhage is characterized by dark red color and it flows out steadily instead of spurts. The third type is capillary hemorrhage. Here the blood is bright red in color and it oozes out rather than flows. The next classification is as per the time of appearance. It can be primary hemorrhage reactionary hemorrhage or secondary hemorrhage primary hemorrhage occurs at the time of injury or operation reactionary hemorrhage it occurs within 24 hours of injury or operation in majority of cases it occurs within four to six hours due to dislodgement of clots or slipping of ligatures as a result of rise in blood pressure and secondary hemorrhage it occurs usually after seven to fourteen days of injury or operation it is usually due to infection and sloughing of part of the arterial wall. Coming to blood substitutes, there are two types, first is plasma and its derivatives which includes plasma, platelet-rich plasma, fibrinogen, albumin and cryoprecipitate. The second type is synthetically prepared various solutions such as dextran, gelatin, hydroxyethyl starch and fluorocarbons. Moving on to an important topic which is parenteral fluid therapy. So we'll discuss some important solutions which are commonly used. First is 5% dextrose. It is an isotonic solution that supplies calories but not electrolytes. It is used when the patient requires replenishment of his blood volume along with some nutrition but no electrolytes. It is particularly used in the immediate post-operative period when sodium excretion is considerably diminished by renal conservation. Second solution is isotonic 0.9% sodium chloride solution. It is also isotonic and contains sodium and chloride in the concentration almost similar to that of plasma. It should not be used in the first 24 hours after operation due to natural sodium conservation. One important fact is that it contains a high concentration of chloride as compared to plasma and imposes an appreciable load of excess chloride on kidneys that cannot be readily excreted. Next solution is Ringer's lactate solution. Its main advantage is that it is almost similar electrolyte concentration as ECF that is, extracellular fluid and the pH remains normal even if infused in large quantities. This solution is best to be used in hypovolemic shock while awaiting for blood. The chief advantage is its slight hypoosmolarity with respect to sodium. The last solution is Darrow's Darrow's solution It is the only solution which contains more potassium than available in the plasma or ECF. This is the best solution to combat hypokalemia. The rate of infusion should be slower than other solutions to avoid hyperkalemic state. Now this is the last topic of this episode, that is extent of burn, for which rule of 9 is followed, according to anatomic area and the percentage of body surface. So head, face and neck is denoted 9%, right upper extremity is 9%, left upper extremity is 9%, right lower extremity is 18% that is 9% thigh and 9% leg and foot similarly left lower extremity is 18% then anterior trunk is also 18% where chest is 9% and abdomen is 9% posterior trunk is also 18% upper half being 9% and lower half being 9% and external genitalia is devoted 1%. So I hope these points are clear and this brings us to the end of this episode of rapid revision in general surgery. Make sure you join the telegram group for more updates and I'll see you in the next episode tomorrow. Till then, happy learning, Neatables.